So I'm going to read to you Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, and then we will start on our service. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now, if you take the 196 verses in the New Testament Gospels, not just the Gospels, the New Testament Gospels, that tell about the birth of the Messiah, and combine that, those two books, with all the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, you've got a lot of verses. And that means the story of Jesus' birth is important to God and is important to us. It's not just for a few weeks in December. It's, does Christmas draw near? It's just like the empty tomb is not just for a week of Easter. Our Heavenly Father has spent a lot of ink on the pages to make sure that we sitting here can grasp this event in its fullness. Today we're going to be looking at why Jesus came and the ways we can share that with those who've never opened God's holy word. It is a message that the world needs to rediscover. Among the blessings of the Christian experience is adoption. We do not enter God's family by adoption the way a homeless child would enter a loving family in today's society. The only way we get into God's family is regeneration, which is a fancy church word for being born again. John 3, 3 tells us, sitting here today, Jesus replied, Verily, truthfully, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now the word New Testament word translated adoption means to place an adult son. It has to do with standing, our standing in the family of God. We are not little children, but adult sons and daughters with the privileges of sonship and daughterhood. It is unfortunate that many translations of the New Testament do not make the distinction between children of God and sons of God. We are children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, born into God's family. But every child of God is automatically placed into the family as a son. And as a son... He has or she has all the legal rights and privileges of a son or daughter. When a sinner trusts Christ and is saved, as far as his condition is concerned, he is a spiritual baby. I like to call them babes, right? Who needs to grow. 
Now, I want you to listen to 1 Peter. I'm going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Bear with me, this is important teaching. I'm going to read verse 2 to you. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted what the Lord is and that he is good. When a sinner trusts Christ and is saved, as far as his position is concerned, they are an adult son or daughter who can draw on the Father's wealth and who can exercise all the wonderful privileges of sonship or daughterhood. We enter God's family by regeneration, but we enjoy God's family by adoption. The Christian does not have to wait to begin to enjoy the spiritual riches that he has in Christ. If a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now that's Galatians 4, 7. The expression, the fullness of time, in Galatians 4, 4, refers to it that time when the world has providentially been made ready for the birth of the Savior. Historians tell us that the Roman world was in great expectation, waiting for a deliverer for at a time when Jesus was born. The old religions were dying out. Old philosophies were empty and powerless to change men's lives. Strange and new mystery religions were invading the empire. And religious bankruptcy and spiritual hunger were everywhere. God was preparing the world for the arrival of his son. From the historical point of view, the Roman Empire itself helped prepare the world for the birth of the Savior. Now, hear that out. From the historical point of view, the Roman Empire itself helped prepare the world for the birth of the Savior. Roads connected city with city, and, the, and all cities were ultimately collected to Rome. The sidebar here. We have Roman roads that are over, they're well over thousands of years old and they don't have potholes. <laughs> Maybe they should go back in time and learn how to build a road. Anybody hit a pothole this week? So I got to get back to the sermon. I could get you really sidetracked with that one, couldn't I? Roman law protected the rights of citizens. The Roman soldiers guarded the peace, actually. Thanks to both the Greeks and the Romans, the conquest of the Latin and the Greek, those languages, Latin and Greek, were known throughout the empire. Christ's birth at Bethlehem was not an accident. It was an appointment. Christ came in the fullness of time. And it's worth noting, it's worth noting, he will come again 
when the time is ready. And when he comes, he's not going to be riding a peaceful little donkey. He's going to be riding a war horse. And we need to remember that. The Apostle Paul was careful to point out the dual nature of Jesus Christ. Both God and man. But as man, he was made of a woman. The ancient promise that was our Redeemer would be of a woman's seed, which is recorded in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And Jesus fulfilled other promises, such as Isaiah 4, 7, uh, 7 14, and Matthew 1, 18 through 25. You can read those at your convenience. Paul was told, he told us who came, God's Son. He told us when he came and how he came. And now here in Galatians, he's explaining to us why he came. To redeem them that are under the law. The redeemed is the same word that Paul used in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, which means to set free paying a price. That's exactly what it means. You're being set free by being paid a price. Now, a man could purchase a slave in any Roman city. There was about 60... Now, now hear this out. Slavery was a lot more back then than you understand. There was more than 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Now, you could buy a slave in any city and keep the slave for yourself, or you could set them free. You had that choice. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus did not purchase us to make us slaves, but sons. Under the law, the Jews were mere children. But under grace, every believer is the son of God. With an adult standing in God's family. Now, this Thursday that just happened was a very important Thursday. July 20th, 2023 was the 54th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. You knew I would make it into the sermon, wouldn't you? You know, we're doing space, right? The crew consisted of three American astronauts, Michael Collins, Buzz Arden, and Neil Armstrong. Even back then, some folks refused to believe that man had actually walked on the moon. Why they claim on television you can make anything look like it happened. Now, sidebar here, if you want to believe that, for $8,900, you can go to California. They have an observatory there that has a big telescope. And if you give them $8,900, they will focus their telescope on the moon and you can physically see the lander up there. But that's what their charge is for 10 minutes of using their telescope. You're not getting my money, right? Because millions of Americans watch the landing on television. Walter Cronkite was at his news desk covering the landing. And he was considered the most trusted man in America. And he heard the words of the crew that they touched down on the moon. The eagle has landed. 
And Walter Cronkite was speechless and he took off his glasses and simply said, whoa, right on television. It's hard to believe that humans have safely landed on the moon. Neil Armstrong took the first step on the moon and said, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Allow me to share a personal note with you. My grandfather was watching that. We were in Tacoma, Washington. We had a black and white television. And you know how kids make noise? You know? I remember we were all sitting there talking and and he was, shh, shh, quiet, quiet. And he actually leaned forward to the television set. My grandfather was born on horse and buggy day. He rode the rails during the Depression. He understood how far man had come. He was born without a vehicle on the farm, using horses, you know, to plow the field. And he got to watch man put his foot on the moon. The only time my grandfather ever shushed me up, but he wanted, no, with that night, no one said a word watching the television. Do you, do you remember, those who were alive, do you remember watching it? Black and white, right? And remember how they're talking, we don't know what's going to happen when they land, we don't know what's... My grandfather saw it all. In, in his mind, that was the pinnacle of the world. But as amazing a feat as it was for man to walk on the moon, it cannot compare to the giant leap that occurred 2,000 some years ago. As John 1.14 says, the word became a human being. Word became flesh. And he made his home with us. On one occasion, Neil Armstrong, he said he considered himself an ordinary man who had the privilege to do extraordinary things. But when God came to earth in the form of a baby, baby Jesus, it was beyond words to come as an ordinary baby with an, with an un- extraordinary purpose. And that was to be our Savior. Now this is a true story. It's a sad but true story. A Christian gave a Bible to someone who was going through a rough time. The man's life had been one disaster after another disaster. And in all that time, he'd never made an effort to follow Jesus. So a Christian, actually he was a Gideon, because I borrowed this off the Gideon webpage, gave the man a Bible. And he encouraged him to read it. And he suggested that since it was December, that the man start by reading the Christmas story. Reasonable suggestion. The man looked at him with real surprise. You mean the Christmas story's in the Bible? How would you like to be that person that heard that? The birth of Jesus is important. The birth, the death, the resurrection are why you and I are sitting here today. We are a resurrection religion. 
There are two Gospels that that deal with Jesus' birth, with a total of 196 verses in those two Gospels alone. And that's not counting Galatians, any of the other New Testament verses. In chapter 4, verse 4, 5 says, at the, when the right time came, God sent a son of a woman to birth him. He came to set free those who were under the law. He wanted us to be adopted as children. With all the rights that a true child has. In addition, there are a number of prophecies in the Old Testament, like Genesis 3.15, where God tells Satan, I will put hatred between you and the woman, and your children and her children, and her son will crush your head. And you will crush at his heel. The term, her son points to Jesus because back then, speaking of a son, you would ordinarily describe him as a father's son, not her son. It was culturally undone to do what God did. But this boy is only described as being that of a woman, which of course is what Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 declares that would happen. The Lord himself will give you this miraculous sign that a virgin shall conceive a baby or have a baby and she will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. My point is, if you take the 196 verses of the New Testament and combine that with all the prophecies and about the Messiah and then all the rest of the, in the New Testament, you have things like the virgin birth, you have a baby, you have lots of verses. That means the story of Jesus' birth is important because God spent the ink. God says it's important to your faith. Now Jesus came to be our Savior. And the Bible clearly declares that to anyone who will open its pages. Now allow me to show you a little biblical trivia here. For you sitting here, you know I love trivia, right? Honestly, we normally don't have time to cover all this during the busy Christmas season. So I'm giving you a couple barrels right now. The so-called world around us likes to give credit to the Roman Empire Constantine for officially setting the date of December 25th for the birth of Jesus in the year 336 AD. And that is the year that the Roman Empire officially did recognize that holiday. And they love to track it back to an already recognized Roman holiday. And the so-called world around us fails to acknowledge our earlier church fathers and what they did and said and wrote. In the year 2021 AD, Sextus Julius Africanus traveled considerably in Asia and Egypt and he served the Ismaeus in Palestine where he was the prefect. And he set the date of December 20... Now this is 2021 AD, so this is... It's a hundred some years before, right? He set the date as December 25th, relying on records of that time. And he also set the date of conception as March 25th. Now, before that, in the year 205, 
A.D., St. Hippobolus, that's a tough name to pronounce, wrote in his cocky manuscript for the coming of our Lord in the flesh for which has been begotten in Bethlehem took place 25th of December in the fourth day of the reign of Augustus. So you know, or you may not know, because I'm a, I'm a history nut, that that manuscript was found by archaeologists in the year 1885. So, the church was celebrating the, the December 25th as the date of the birth of Christ 100, 200 years before. But we always want to give credit to Constantine. He's a latecomer. Now, I could give you 10 hours of facts of history about the date of Jesus' birth and with arguments on both sides. And I would put you all to sleep. If you're not a history nerd, you wouldn't care about it. But most of the truly honest, deep students of the day of Jesus' birth eventually settle on sometime in December. There's a bunch of flakes out there, but the honest study is December sometime. But the modern world has destroyed much of the true importance of Jesus' birth. So I'm going to end the trivia here and allow me to share with you what's important about the date. What do I know about our celebration of Christmas that can bring a powerful time of evangelism for us? According to a survey by Pew Research, you know I love to quote them, right? They do really good surveys. It was just done in the year 2015. 81% of non-Christians, let me say that again, 81% of non-Christians in the United States celebrate Christmas one way or the other, including Buddhists and Hindus and nobody, everybody, non-Christians. And that opens the door to talk to people about Jesus. It opens the door to introduce why Jesus was born. And it opens the door to explain the why and they and why we need a Savior. That's why Jesus was born. He was born to be our Savior. That's what the angel told the shepherds abiding in the field in Luke 2, chapter 2, verse 11. Where it says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, the Christ, the Lord. Jesus was born to be our Savior. And what does that mean? What did Jesus come to save us from? Well, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, starting in verse 25, it says, people now come to God through him. And he is able to save them completely for all time. Jesus lives forever and pay, prays for them. A high priest that meets our need. Holy and pure without blame. He isn't like other people. He does not sin. He is lifted high Above the heavens. He isn't like other priests. 
They need to offer sacrifice day after day. First, they bring offerings for their own sin. And when they do this, then they can give the sacrifice for the sin of people. But Jesus came to be, be the one sacrifice for the sins of all the people. He gave it once and for all time. He did it by offering himself. Now those words are recorded in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 25, for you to read to this day. The bottom line is that Jesus came to offer himself as a sacrifice for sins. For our sins. He came to offer himself to save us from our sins. He is our Savior. I know it's, this is bread, this is milk type teaching, but we need to know it. A little research on the word Savior. According to the Cambridge Dictionary, a Savior was a person who saved someone from danger or harm. Now, according to the Collins Dictionary, an individual who saved others from ruin or defeat. And the Britannica Dictionary from Britannica.com, right? Explains someone who saves us, saves or something from danger, harm, etc. That's the first way it describes it. The second way it describes it, it's... It says this in Britannica, it's used by Christians to refer to Jesus Christ. The only dictionary I could find it in, Britannica, no other dictionary refers to Jesus Christ as Savior except the Britannica nowadays. Last one. Danger, ruin, failure, defeat. Those were all the descriptions of what sin does to people. And those were the things that Jesus came to save us from. Danger, ruin, failure, defeat. Sin damages us. It can defeat us. But how does sin sin damage us? On this side of death, before we die, one of the main things that sin does is create shame. Guilt is when people said, I did something bad. But shame is the feeling that results from that guilt. Shame says, I'm bad. And because of the bad things I've done, I'm completely worthless. Now, Brain Brown said, I think shame is destructive and potentially lethal. She warned how shame is the gremlin that laughs and plays two tape recordings in your head and your mind. One recording says, you'll never be good enough. And the other says, why do you even think you are good enough? She's a lady author, right? She's written lots of books. But she's right on that subject. I mean, you might think she's a Christian. Actually, I don't know if she is. But the reason we feel shame is because we would like to think we're nice people. I'm going to say that again. The reason we feel ashamed is because we would like to think we're nice people. But when we say or do things that we shouldn't, it tells us that we're really not that nice after all. It creates in us a disappointment, a feeling of failure, a feeling of worthlessness, of emptiness. And we aren't who we thought we were. 
And that can be really devastating. Shame is the feeling that makes people remember what they've done in the past. And when they do that, they said, I was stupid. You ever said that to yourself? I hate myself for doing that. Have you ever felt that way? I have. Now, C.S. Lewis said that Satan's strategy is for us to become preoccupied with our failures. And then on, he thinks the battle's won. See, Satan wants us to be preoccupied with what we've done wrong. I've done lots of things wrong. Now, how many of you remember Paul Harvey? Some of you weren't born yet. Okay, I really need hands because I like quoting Paul Harvey and some of Okay, I'm, I'm still legal to call, quote Paul Harvey. Uh-uh. Very godly man, if you study his work. The late Paul Harvey, in a series, The Rest of the Story, you know those, he told of a preacher named S.D. Gordon who met a 10-year-old boy on the street carrying a beat-up birdcage that contained several miserable-looking small birds. Curious, Gordon asked the boy what he's going to do with the birds. I'm going to go have some fun with them, the boy answered. But after that, the preacher asked, What, huh? Oh, I'll have some cats and at home, and they like birds. That's what the boy said. Now, the preacher was really bothered by this, about the boy's callous, callousness, and asked him what would he would take for the birds. And the boy was surprised. Mister, you want to buy these birds? They're ugly. They're field birds. They don't do anything. Nevertheless, the preacher bought the birds, and he made the deal with the boy for the birdcage, and soon the boy was home with, going home with a wad of money, and the preacher opened the cage and released all the birds. And on Sunday morning, you know how preachers love to do, he took that old bird cage, and not this exact one, but just an old picture, right? And told the people what had happened. And according to Paul Harvey, he told them another story about the story how Satan caught the world and filled his cage with people. And, and Jesus asked Satan, what are you going to do with all those people? And Satan answered, I'm going to have some fun with them. Make their lives miserable. And I'll watch as they hurt each other a lot. And Jesus asked, when you get tired of that, what are you going to do with them? So I'm going to send them to hell. Satan answered, they're no good anyway. And Jesus asked Satan what it would take. You can't be serious, the devil said. You wouldn't want them. And he laughed and he mocked them and they'll spit on you and they, they, they'll take a hammer and nails to you and they're just no good. How much do you want, the Lord asked. Satan gleefully said, all your blood. Jesus said, done. Paid the price, took the cage, opened the door. You see, that's why Jesus came to do. Jesus came to open the cage to set us free. Jesus died on the cross to heal us from the damages caused by our sins. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he says, He himself carried our sins in his body to the cross. He did so that we could die to those sins, as far as we're concerned and he's concerned, so that we would lead godly lives. His wounds have made you whole. 
His sacrifice gave us the opportunity to start all over again. He forgives us so we don't have to have any shame about our past anymore. you got to forgive yourself now of your past. There's one more thing that's important to us. You see, the shame we experience when we sin is like an alarm bell. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, some of you are looking funny at me. It's an alarm single that says, we've done something seriously wrong in our lives. It's like a pain when our body experiences something. Pain is often a single that something's wrong with your body. Anybody got ache pain, right? It's telling you something's wrong. Pain is sometimes a warns of a, us of a serious disease or broken bones. Shame brought on by our sins is kind of like that. It's a signal and a reminder that sin cuts us off from God. The Bible tells us that when Jesus came to earth, all had sinned over and over. And place after place in the Bible, all have sinned. Like them, we too deserve to be punished. And that's there's nothing we can do to erase our sins. But Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says to us sitting here in plain language, when you sin, the pay you get is death. And then it goes on to say, but God gives you the gift of eternal life because of what Christ Jesus our Lord has done. Let me remind you once again, as we start to wrap up, there was a baby born in Bethlehem many years ago. He was a gift to all mankind, wrapped in swaddling clothes. He came that so that we might know God and that we might have a way of forgiveness for our sins. He was born to be our Savior. Savior for all who will accept him. A little baby soon became a man. And the, the crowds that once cheered him now were a howling mob. Crucify him. Crucify him, they demanded. And they nailed him to that old rugged cross. So stained with his blood. And there was God's gift of love for all to see, a true gift from the Father above. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for all of humanity's sins. That was the reason he came. It was a giant leap to earth. The only thing good is that giant leap is those who faithfully serve him and will make his moving from heaven to earth and worth all of what we have. Jesus is God's gift for you and me. Now, this is, for some of you, this is milk. For some of you, this is old news. But this next week, we're going to be sharing it with every kid that comes. Do you know how many people have never heard the gospel message? Do you know, just... Do a search. And the we need to share the gospel. See, if it used to be if somebody 
didn't hear it, they'd hear it from their teacher. They'd hear it from their... their kids used to come to Sunday school. Right? Do you remember that thing called Sunday school? How many of you went to Sunday school? Right now, we got to drag them in, kicking and screaming, because parents don't always get up on time. So we got a little flow downstairs every morning with goodies. They have more goodies than you and I'll ever see on a Sunday morning. Why do we do that? To share the good news. The closest thing you'll ever come to understanding this is if you're laying on a hospital bed and you realize that you may not make it through the day. Does that make sense? Then you realize why you need a Savior. Because the threat of hell is right there. Now we need to close. The kids are still making noise downstairs. Can you hear them? But we have come here to get you out of here on time. I try to always get close to it. So bear with me in prayer, and then we'll sing our final song, then you'll be dismissed. Our Heavenly Fathers, we hear the noise of children downstairs. We are thankful for each noise. We as a body pray in advance for the children that will be here this next week, that you might prepare their hearts, prepare their minds to hear the good news. Grant us wisdom in what we do. Grant us the ability to share your light with them. All God's people said, Amen.